Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Food that's good for the environment, good for the people who eat it, and good for the people who grow it. They pick it so it's beautiful when it comes to market, and you get to enjoy that. Local businesses is the, the first place that we can directly support somebody. You've got to believe in what you do, and if you stick to that, then you're getting there anyway. Hey there, you're with Stefan Postuma here. I've got another Quicksand Food podcast for you, and today I'm speaking with Cal Champagne from Green Connect in Warrawong. What's Green Connect? Well, it is a bloody fantastic organization. It is a social enterprise who grows chemical-free food out the back of Warrawong High and provides it via a community-supported agriculture system. They use veggie boxes to supply families of the Illawarra with fantastic, fresh, chemical-free produce. Not only this, they also provide as many employment pathways for refugees and underprivileged young people as possible. So it's a fantastic organization providing employment providing chemical-free food, and also helping the environment, restoring a big parcel of land behind Warrawong High into a fantastic permaculture garden. It's a really great chat I had with Callum. I talk about the CSA system, about the veggie boxes, about the people they employ, about the potential for change, about Green Connect's growths, and so many other things. I really enjoyed talking to him, and I love this organization. So I hope that you enjoy my chat with Cal Champagne from Green Connect in Warrawong. So Green Connect's been been running for five years. So it's a social enterprise that was set up to create employment pathways for former refugees, and it started out of SCARF. Mm-hmm. Um, that was five years ago. Three years ago, uh, it yeah, th- three years ago it was taken on by our, our current manager Jess Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, we we both met each other when this site was up for grabs. So this this farm was was a project that was previously run as a project called Urban Grown, mm-hmm. and it was focused on youth employment. When this farm was up for grabs, uh, Green Connect decided to take it on and fuse the goals of youth youth employment and former refugee employment. Mm-hmm. And so over the past three years, we've developed this site. So did Green Connect have a like? Was there a food aspect to Green Connect before this farm was up and running? No, there wasn't. No, yeah. so so Green Connect started purely in waste recovery. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so now, uh, as it stands, Green Connect's a social enterprise. So that means we're a not for profit that creates social outcomes using a business model. Yeah. Uh, and we work in three different industries. So we work in waste recovery and diversion. You might have seen us working at some of the larger uh, Illawarra events where mm-hmm. we manage a lot of the waste. Um, and that that's kind of a that's a good industry to get foot in the door employment for former refugees and young mm-hmm. people who haven't got work experience in Australia. Mm-hmm. So we've got 120 staff. A lot of it's very casual, and that's kind of the first foot in the door. Mm. After that, we also the second industry is is labour hire, where yeah. we're contracted by other businesses to to supply um, a, a casual workforce. So we work for a number of often larger businesses around the Illawarra. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where our staff who cut their teeth in resource recovery go on to get more secure employment in oh, Illawarra. Okay. Yeah. And then the third industry is fair food. Yeah. And that's what that's what this farm's been doing for the last three years is growing and selling um, chemically free seasonal veggies and herbs yeah. from, from this 12-acre farm. Sweet. And so... 
was that basically your initiative when it came when it came up for grabs this farm? Did you did you say, hey, there's this farm up for grabs, and then talk to Jess and say, let's do this? Like, I think we can make another branch of Green Connect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of. It wasn't that simple. the The project that was here mm-hmm. had a very similar goal. Green Connect had done a lot of research with our former refugee staff, and one thing that stood out throughout most communities, but especially the the Kareni speaking Burmese, which which are our biggest, which is the biggest proportion of our mm-hmm. workforce, um, they really had an interest in farming because mm-hmm. that's what they had experience in, that's what they felt comfortable in, that's what they wanted to do, mm. and so Jess was kind of in the look, it on the lookout to get to get into the fair food mm. side of things when this came up for grabs. Yeah, cool. And then me and her met at the right time. Us and a bunch of five or six other committed volunteers took this on as a volunteer project administrated by Green Connect. Yeah. And over the last three and a half years, we've developed it into a into a sustainable part of the business. Cool. Do you know what this land was before it became an urban farm? Yeah, so it was uh, Lantana mostly. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it, was just, it was kind of... So it's it twelve acres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of it was a scrubland. Um, it's it's owned by the Department of Education and administered right. by by Warrawong High School. So Warrawong High School actually leases this to Green Connect. Right. Um, we've, we're three years into a seven year yeah. lease. Uh, but basically, this it, it was kind of a scrubland that was unofficially used for people to do stuff that people do in scrubland. Smoke bongs. Yeah, yeah, so so there's there's a lot of yeah every bit of earthworks we do we we find bombs and bottles. Mm. Uh, there's a few burnt out cars in the creek line. Really? Yeah, yeah, pretty wow. dumb. But also, you know, so how does it? How does it? How does that? So it, I guess since the history of the high school, it's been a part of that that sort of parcel of land that that encompasses the high school. Mm. High school didn't do anything with it, and then at one point someone was like, "Can we lease this land off you and, and activate it?" Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it it was a bit more than that. The the principal at the time was an absolute gun. Yeah. Um, okay. And it was actually because of the success of um, the Warrawong High School's living classroom garden that the principal kind of said, "This is a really good engagement model." Yeah. Um, typically, kids are studying in that garden who don't don't really get on with the classroom yeah. and so they're, they're going into the garden to, to learn in a, in a more hands-on way and the principal at the time said wow this is really successful it'd be great to have employment outcomes from this or career mm. pathways from this and wow. so that's when this kind of land came into question cool. which the school was actually spending a lot of money maintaining the weeds uh-huh. um, and so it, it's, it was kind of a good trade for them to, yeah. to lease it out Do you think that there's a like what, how can you comment on there being opportunity with this type of land around the Illawarra in general that that's foregone because organisations like yourself or whatever just, you know, don't don't see the opportunity in this type of land? Because you look at it like you've got a school behind us, there's houses here and then there's beautiful view down to the lake and it's all this land that is now being made such good use of and, and you see parcels of land like this everywhere. Mm. Except, but they're just not being used. Yeah. So, 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 what's the question? The, that like, really wasn't you, a question. I guess yep. it was like, do you see, like, now having activated this area, do you sort of like look around at the opportunity in heaps of other different areas and stuff? Like, do you, yep. do you see this type of land and, and think that could be used, that could be used, that could be used? And yeah, absolutely. Not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the big thing with this, like, um, people talk about arable land and all these statistics about food security and arable land left in the world this is actually not considered arable land it's it's kind of it's three different hills that are sloping into a neglective neglected rainforest valley Mm. that's been smashed by industrial fallout for the last 50 years Mm. and has been dumped on by industry (laughs) yeah yeah like we're uncovering heaps and heaps of rubbish um so it's actually kind of the the text techniques we used to develop the land that's made it usable. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what what generally what sort of so specifically um, 
specifically earthworks. Yeah. Yeah. So so we've actually my my background is in in permaculture and permaculture design. Yeah. And so with the process that we went through to design this piece of land was was focused on um sh- shaving the land so that we made best use of the water that that falls on the land. Okay. So that that's all the terracing here. So it was a big planning project before you even just sort of did you like how much did it change from what was previously here? Like it's um the general pattern has stayed pretty constant yeah. for, for three years. Okay. Uh the detail is kind of as as we develop things we sure. we kinda chop and change. And, yeah. Yeah. Well it's it's good that you've got like a water source here as well that you can Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Cool. But yeah, to to answer your question there there is heaps of there is a lot of potential in other kind of unutilized lands. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess it, it's it's the, the the I guess the biggest issues to overcome are like security and or council planning. Mm-hmm. So if people are going to take on pieces of land to try and create a livelihood out of it, which is what we've done here, they either need to have security of the land and know that the council and the authorities are going to back them to manage that mm-hmm. land. If, if say if this land was double the size, would Green Connect still be viable? Like, is the the market that you find for your produce that comes out of here is that sort of in proportion to the amount that you can produce here? Or if you had more land, you'd like sort of find a bigger market and be able to sort of find that ba- that same balance. Uh, yeah, I, I reckon. I I mean it's. The amount we can sell is proportionate to the amount of resources we have to put in it. Right. Um, so at the moment, it's... Yeah, so, yes, I think if we had double the land, we could sell double the produce. Sure. We could create twice, sometimes more yeah. um, employment because you'd get efficiencies yeah. into it. Um, the biggest barrier we have at the moment with resources is we don't have someone selling it. And and our, our communications is a bit weak, and right. because we're it's it's a growing social enterprise, sure. all these all these back end um, things are a little bit under resourced. Yeah. So yeah, I I don't think, I mean we're currently selling to sixty odd families and a few restaurants. Yeah. We're hoping to double that in the next calendar year. Wow. Okay. Um, there's there's no reason if you had more land you couldn't quadruple that yeah like surely there's 400 people in there sure. who want to eat ethical food yeah um it's just it's just a matter of it sounds how, so how it well, sounds, how well we it sounds such a, it sounds such a no-brainer when you say it like that surely there's 400 people or families in the Illawarra who want to eat ethical food yeah so like there is so, an opportunity yeah. out there. like <laughs> i'll um yeah i, I guess <laughs> to rephrase that it's like there's a very big difference between people who want to and people who do can make that commitment yeah. um, which is not a judgement statement but it's we, it's been a massive learning curve for us um, because as, as you said it is a no brainer like do you want to eat chemical free food produce locally supporting refugee and youth employment 99.9% of people are going to say yeah for sure yeah. but um, just that we've been kind of hardwired to into this culture of like I feel like this today I'm going to go down to Woolworths because I know they'll have exactly that. Mm. Whereas our CSA box system kind of flips that on its head. Mm. So it's kind of, actually, this is what's in season uh, and this is what you've got. So now you've got to backtrack from that and go, mm. okay, what can I cook with that? Which is a much more, to me, to me, it's a much more satisfying way of preparing your meals. Yeah. <laughs> a, everything tastes better because it's in season and... It also allows you to experiment more in the kitchen and learn, you know, l- develop your food skills. Yeah, and I, I guess that's a big thing. We need um, community members to really want want that challenge or, yeah. or want to kind of go on that journey. So it's it's not a product that's going to be as convenient as um, as the supermarket chains. Yeah, it's but it's one that hopefully will be more exciting and rewarding. Mm, for totally. Um, so just going back to the whole reason I asked you why like if you had more land would there be a market for your produce is it seems like well it's obviously a successful model like it's working you're employing people people are buying the produce you're you know making great use of the land 
um, and there's you know as you said it's it's growing and you guys are learning constantly as well there's all sorts of other opportunities like we were talking about um, pigs before and chickens and you know so much opportunity to diversify and all that sort of stuff like it seems like a model that's such a sort of a no-brainer for finding areas of land that that are not utilized or underutilized or whatever it might be and yeah beginning a social enterprise and getting people on board um like yeah i don't know i'm just sort of spitballing but it seems like there could be like a a green connect style style farm and style enterprise everywhere like Mm. you know and following basically the model that you guys have put together yeah i i mean it um it it has to be acknowledged like the amount of energy that's gone into setting up and the amount of um, (laughs) the amount of unpaid energy uh, but both in terms of our management team you know going above and beyond but also the community members who who turn up here every week to help us out Mm -hmm. and turn up on on our seasonal community days to get it going um so it's not it's definitely not an easy thing Mm. to to set up um but yeah i mean one one of the goals is kind of this is uh yeah one of the goals is that we can create social enterprise models and models of urban sustainability that can be replicated by Mm. other communities yeah yeah and well i guess like in compact like if this was just a small business which i guess it was before yeah previously was that what it, was it a social enterprise? uh before green yeah, connect, before green connect right? uh it was a social enterprise model right um yeah but it t- typically i mean social enterprises are really uh vague concept in terms of how it's financially structured yeah okay. uh, green connects one of the more business uh yeah, more, more. It's more on the side of a business model than most. Yeah. Uh, in, but we get. We we access grants and philanthropic funding okay. to develop sections of the site mm-hmm. and develop parts of the business. So that's our capital mm-hmm. in in the way that a business would borrow from shareholders. Sure. Um, and then it's our aim to cover ongoing costs through through uh through trade yep. yeah so operate as a business once it's once it's going so it's kind of that startup thing that's that's a little bit different mm. um but yeah so the project that was here before green connect the idea was to turn it into a social enterprise mm-hmm. but it never really got beyond that first sure. development stage yeah. yeah and i mean obviously like as you said it's challenging and the amount of volunteer work that goes into it and management that goes above and beyond is you know just there must be so much work to just to get it up and running um but i feel like i feel like it's probably on a different level because you have volunteers and you have um you know funding and things like that but even if it was like if it was a small business people just trying to make a farm so they could sell produce whether it be green boxes boxes or uh at a farmer's market or whatever it is there's always a startup process that is really you know challenging and stuff and then you learn from you learn from that and then can take it to your next venture so obviously Mm. if you were to establish another parcel of land into a farm that is you know produces for green connect um it you know you'd assume that you you would have learned a bit and you've already got you know systems and administration in place in order for that for that process to become a bit more easier and smooth i guess so yeah yeah i don't know i don't not even a question i'm just talking about how you know the potential for this model to proliferate yeah for sure yeah yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, um there's actually a guy in canada called curtis stone who's doing kind of backyard csa's like leasing people's Mm -hmm. backyards and growing food to sell is he the the chef guy the no no he's no he's not an australian no he's not the coles guy no (laughs) No. yeah yeah no he's like (laughs) it's kind of like I think his tag is the urban, urban farmer yeah, or okay. backyard farmer or something. Right. He's in, um, I think he's in Montreal, Canada. But yeah, that that's a really cool model. Mm. Yeah, um, and and I I reckon the veg box model, um, because like the most intense thing about market gardening, which is 
intensely growing vegetables is like working out your planting schedules to your rotation systems mm. how that works spatially and how it works over time um that's kind of the biggest thing to wrap your head around but it's it's the most valuable in terms of that once you get it established that's your system that yeah. you keep following um and i reckon the, the way if, if you can get that rotation system and that planting schedule to link in with your outcomes so the vegetables that you want to harvest at a particular time of year so in our case our veg boxes mm. then it's 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 kind of a really it's a model that kind of follows itself mm. and, and can kind of really easily be repeated mm. do you want to explain just a little bit about that system so for you guys it's a commitment that people make to purchase veg boxes for how long uh f- yeah so I'll let you explain. Yeah, so um, the concept of CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture, the idea of that is that uh, in the current food system, farmers bear all the risk, so they invest their capital. Uh, if, if they get a good crop, that's good. They get income. If the season turns bad or something happens, it's them that bears costs, not the customers. Mm-hmm. Customers go elsewhere. So the community-supported agriculture idea is based on community members or customers paying up front, like a season up front, um, to invest in the farmer and then share the rewards if it's good season or share the risks if it's a shit season. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of uh, classic CSA models would be incredibly hard to get customers for. Mm. If, if we did that, we'd have... I'd probably be the only customer and a mate of mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, because no one wants... to get through. Yeah, no one wants an entire <laughs> box of broccoli or like a week where it's like, sorry guys, snail's got to the veggies. Go down. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so ours is, we, we do a season in advance commitment, yep. but not a season in advance payment. Um, yeah. So you can pay as you go and you can pause at any time if you're going on holidays. Sure. You can drop out at any time. Um, and we plant, we typically plant five months in advance, knowing the variety that we want in the boxes right. five months from now. So it's, it's, um, we know that, it, yeah, it's going to be a reasonable variety. In cool. The so, so it's a much more consumer friendly sure. CSA model. How yeah. do you decide on what you want in the boxes? Um, it's like a lot of learning. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I um, I worked for an organisation called Food Connect before this, which does a a multi farm. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it actually has no Green Connect was already established, but yeah, yeah, no, it's actually the same time. It's actually yeah, it's um, so they were a business, a social enterprise slash business in Sydney and also in Brisbane that did like a multi farm weekly veg box thing. So that, they were sourcing from different farms, mm-hmm. so it's very different than ours. But I worked there in the packing sheds for two years, and so I kind of saw what a classic box was considered. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of stole those ideas okay. and was like, oh, this is what people want mm. on a weekly basis. Mm. Um, and then from that, it's just been a lot of getting, putting things in the box, getting customer feedback. Yeah. What, like... Is there is there a sort of a balance that you have to strike between the stuff that you can grow really, like less labor intensively, and it grows like really good produce or whatever it is, um, and what you think customers want? Like, I mean, you, there's obviously there's crops out there that you just wouldn't plant because they're too hard, like they're too hit and miss, they're too prone to whatever, like infestation or the elements or whatever. But the customers might want it, and then there's you know then there's spuds. Or yeah, or whatever. Like, is that a balance you have to sort of try to find? Yeah, I, gu- I guess there's kind of two. There's two important balances we have to get. One is like the actual physical makeup of the box, so we need to get the balance between like rooting and starchy vegetables, leafy vegetables, and classically seasonal fruiting or flowery vegetables. So in winter, that's brassicas. In summer, that's tomatoes and yeah. zucchinis and eggplants. Um, because no one wants a whole box of leaf, no matter how good the leaf is. Mm. No one wants a whole box of potatoes and carrots. Mm. So it's kind of there's a balance between that. Um, 
And then the next balance is the balance between familiarity and variety. Okay. So one of the biggest learning curves is like people love things new and they love things different, but they kind of have a short tolerance for it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, kind, we're kind of hardwired to... Um, yeah, we Australians generally, no matter how adventurous they are, like food that kind of came on the first fleet. Yes, like it, it hasn't. Yeah, it hasn't changed that much. Yeah. So people, I mean, the first time, the first winter came around, and I put turnips in the box, and people were like, man, I love turnips. Like it's so good. Uh, yeah. It's winter. It feels so wintry, and I was like, oh great, people love turnips. I'll plant six months worth of turnips and then after three weeks everyone's like I'm sick of the turnips get out some <laughs> carrots and potatoes and I've just planted six months yeah. of turnips now I'm going to get rid of them yeah yeah so but that but that's um that's been a pretty fun process like yeah. sorting that out so in a regular box we'll we'll have 12 different things and, and three of them might be a bit unconventional yep and nine of them will be your standard thing there's always potatoes and onions generally always carrots those always a lettuce um but another thing that that we've done to kind of make make the weird things a bit more viable and a bit more enjoyable is every week we'll have like a weekly um veg profile and uh and a recipe to go with it yeah so there's a lot of kind of just weird uh you could say weird you could say gourmet yeah exactly (laughs) yeah you've got to say gourmet Um, or uh specialty or you know, delicacies. Yeah. I mean, there's also <laughs> what one of the more successful things is like, um, you know, sweet sweet potatoes. Like they grow all year round, and they've just got prolific leaves. Yeah, and they're just a waste product to us. Mm. Um, and we've got like all our Kareni staff one day just start cutting them and taking them home in bunches. And I was like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, just cook it like a spinach. And if you look at it bunched up, it just looks like a spinach. Yeah, wow. So the next week we did like a a bunch of them in the box with a story. Yep. And we've done that with like, yeah, and, and people love that, that that kind of personal connection and just, yeah, I guess expanding people's understandings mm. of what food is. Well, there's so much, like when it comes to veggies, there's so much that goes unused that can be used in products. Mm. Like people cut the, like people, you can use the leaves of your beetroot or the tops of your carrots or you know, the root of your parsley or there's so much out there. Yeah. Yeah. And little things like that's cool because that's, that's what develops education. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's awesome as well to be able to learn something from the people that work here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is yeah. there, is there a lot of that sort of thing? Do you learn a lot from the, because you know, the, the Burmese people definitely like definitely sort of Southeast Asian people have a history, like a background in farming and are good at farming certain things yeah i'm like i know some growers who can't can't w- get their coriander to work or they can't get their shallots you know working well and and, and growing well but um they, no, they, they learn a lot they learn a lot from asian growers so yeah yeah absolutely I'm, i mean it, it's i'd say it's more like anyone who's generationally been a farmer and yeah, anyone who's generationally been a, a farmer has has kind of an instinctive environmental knowledge in mm-hmm. terms of they know how things work. They understand how soil works, how the wind works, how plants grow, what mm. they like and what they don't like. Yep. Um, but also a lot of our, our Kareni Burmese staff, you know, they're just, they're just very observant and very... Um, yeah, very attentive to what's going on in the garden. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. As well as being hardworking and, and trustworthy. And all they, that. yeah, it's more than a job. Like they, they actually really care about the, yeah, you know what's going on on the farm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you find that with? Do you find that runs across most of your staff? Like once you get, you know, whether it be guys that are coming in and working for the doll or the young sort of underemployed people that come in. Um, do you find that you you find a, a general sort of like positive interest in what's happening on the farm and, and transferring people like from maybe having no experience in growing at all and not knowing what a sweet potato looks like or whatever it might be um, to really educating them and getting them really interested? 
Yeah, I think generally like an an interest and an ownership builds for anyone who who hangs out on the site. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if it is like it is a community project in the truest sense, like it was started started by us as volunteers, um, and and it's it's grown. Especially the community days have seen big chunks mm. of development happening on site. So the people, whether it's the people here every week or the people here every three months on community days, um, the community does have a sense of ownership for it. But also everyone can see that everyone who's here is working really hard to, to make it happen. Mm. Uh, and, and so I think there's like a level of appreciation for that. Mm. Do you want to just talk a little bit about... Um the community days and other ways you engage the community with what you guys are doing here? Yeah, so um, the community days are, are set up partially as as a working bee yep. to get some of the to get some of the big development jobs done which um, as I said before as a social enterprise we fund all our all our ongoing wages and, and all our operational costs through trade, but there's still all our development projects as well as the projects that make it, that aren't necessarily commercial, but make it a nice community space. So an example of that is the regeneration of the, the riparian zone, which mm-hmm. we're planting up with native indigenous rainforest plants. Um, so the community days have, have been really big for that, for one thing. And secondly, um, they're just a good a good way to kind of engage the community, you know, educate the community on how food is grown, on general food literacy, because part of it's a big shared lunch. Mm-hmm. And also for our customers, it's about kind of increasing the relationship between the people who grow the food, the land from where it comes, and the people who make it possible by mm-hmm. buying a box and, and supporting it. Cool. How do you how do you get the information about community days and and that sort of thing to the public? Uh, just through social media and yep. email chains. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, like as I said before, a lot of our back end stuff's pretty underdeveloped. Yep. Um, including communications. But that's something that we're definitely improving and we're not in any hurry to pump more Devote resources on in. out. Oh, I the community days especially yeah okay. we had um we had <laughs> yeah it's two, overwhelming 209 people here the other day <laughs> uh, and and that's grown from like a year ago we, we had 50 people here sure then we were like oh we're gonna have more this time then we got 100 then 150 now 200 um and it's been really great and the last one went really well would you would you attribute that growth to the work that you guys have put in or a general swing in public interest into connection to where food comes from ethically grown local food because yeah like I mean both I'm assuming both those those things have grown you know in parity almost in the last few years so yeah. you must see growth being attributed to both aspects yeah I, I think it's it's more I guess the success of previous community days yeah like people have come about. generally come back um, and just yeah, word of word of mouth. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, like, do you have you noticed? Have you noticed any of that though? Like, I feel like Green Connected seems to be something that once you're exposed to it, education happens on a number of levels. Like you, like if you come to a community day, you can see how a working farm works, and you can also be exposed to what you know CSA and social enterprise like this is, and how it supports people. And there's all these different levels. So there's there's elements there for, for the public to ha- have interest in depending on what you're interested in there could be there's people out there that I meet people that say I don't cook mm. you know there's people out there that don't care about food but there, there might be people that are really interested in you know social enterprise yeah. and, and don't really care about the food 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 aspects so much but about employment yeah um, so yeah I don't know I feel like it's something that once you are exposed to it, you it, you connect you can connect to it and really sort of and 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 it's something that you you'll get behind yeah yeah sense. yeah I think it it does kind of um, connect to people on a number of ways I mean the the way we communicate about our 
our model because we started using this term fair food mm -hmm. and there's not actually a, a definition for it. it it's just kind of a word that's thrown around so we kind of created our own definition mm. <laughs> and we talk about uh, food that's good for the environment good for the people who eat it and good for the people who grow it mm -hmm. uh, I feel like everyone's got their head around food and the environment we've been talking about that for decades mm -hmm. um, a, a certain number of people have got their head around there's this whole thing with with food literacy and understanding where your food comes from and and chemicals and health and freshness and health so the fair for people who eat the food is is pretty well established i think that fair for the people who grow it is probably the thing that is furthest away from most people's minds and that's probably where green connects um pushing up the biggest hill mm with social enterprise uh, a lot of people don't really think about yeah there's this drive for for cheap food um but not many people think about what does cheap mean how, mm. how can we have cheap and pay award wages mm. which is what green connect does mm. um and the answer is you can't there's yeah. <laughs> there's, there's exploitation going on somewhere along the line yep. whether it's people whether it's the environment whether it's the compromising the product that's going out um, but to talk about people's engagement with Green Connect I, th I think that those three elements mean that someone's going to find something to relate to some people are really interested in environmental impacts of foods mm. and they're going to love what we do some people are really interested in, in food and they're probably food and the health of food are probably our biggest and most consistent genuine supporters in terms of they're the people who are going to get the veg box and stick with it yeah because they love food and that's what we do um but also there's especially in the illawarra which is a real working class region there's there's this big support for new industries supported employment and that's that's kind of the, the biggest part of, of what green connect does mm. cool um where where do most of the veg boxes sell to uh, like geographically where yeah. or um, so I mean we have like we have a number of pickup points like okay. so, so some people come down here and uh, so, some local people come down here and pick them up uh, there's a pickup point at University of Wollongong one at Flame Tree Co-op in Thoreau, um and then a couple of other businesses throughout mm -hmm. town uh, like it uh, I mean Flame Tree Flame Tree Co-op is our biggest, um, our biggest drop-off point. Okay. So you could probably say that it's more northern suburbs than sure. southern suburbs. But we also have a lot of home deliveries around mm -hmm. around Wollongong. Cool. And stuff. The reason I ask is because with different levels of socioeconomic status and being positioned where you are here in Warrawong, I feel like there's a and there is there's a, there's a sort of a gap between the the food the food culture of, of of lower socioeconomic and and less educated people and people you might find in the northern suburbs with a bit more money and a bit, a bit of a higher level of education. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not too sure where I'm going or what the question is, but um, like, is there is is there a way to sort of bridge that gap? Like, if you go to if you go to the supermarket in Warrawong, there are still people buying trolley loads full of soft drink mm. and bags of chips and things like that and frozen, you know, chicken Kiev, and that's food. Um, and then you've got the the converse of that in Flame Tree Co-op in Thoreau. Mm. Do you find do you find that the farm and being positioned where you are is a way to sort of bridge that gap and bring that information to people who sometimes might not have access to it in those lower rungs of socioeconomic development? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think in terms of balancing out the consumption of good food and fair food, that's more of a long term systemic change. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you can talk about food pricing and and food being cheaper or expensive. The reality is that, um, you know, rent and the general cost of living is insane mm. at the moment, that 
people are squeezed, squeezed for food. And so the people who are going to buy a product that's based on award wages, which is what we grow, are going to be more affluent people, or at least people with consistent employment, which mm. in the Illawarra kind of means affluent because unemployment's yep. so high. Yeah, in terms of an understanding of food, I think the farm does play a big role in uh, in people who, who don't kind of have direct access to the level of good, fresh food mm -hmm. um, accessing it. I should also say that... The, the connection to the school, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the like a mentor of mine, Aaron Sorensen, who runs Elemental Permaculture, who have established all the living classrooms in this southern Illawarra region. Mm -hmm. um, that project's been really successful at, at not just engaging kids in growing food, but exposing them to, to, to fresh, good food. Do you get a good level of interest from the kids? Like, how, how is the response? Uh, from the kids for the farm? Yeah. Yeah, generally it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I mean, it's, it, that's one of the things I've found is like, uh, animals really engage people. Okay. Like people just, I mean, when we got the chickens, people, especially kids, just loved the chickens. And the pigs is just like another level to that. Yeah. Like the kids are just constantly wanting to come down and yeah. check out the pigs, which is kind of cool. And that, that's an unintended thing that I never really thought about. Yeah. But I'm really glad that it's happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and it's a really good thing because, um, you know, I'm just, this is a bit of a side note, but I'm not a vegetarian, but I'm really into understanding the meat industry and yep. consciously consuming meat as you should any food. Sure. And most kids who haven't seen a pig don't actually understand where bacon is from. Mm -hmm. And so of course they're going to consume unconsciously mm. if you don't, you don't know anything about it. Mm. Um, so by having that kind of direct relationship with a pig and a kid, it doesn't mean we're going to turn people into vegetarians, which I don't know whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing, but it does mean that they're at least going to have to think about where the bacon comes from. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I think um, you see more and more these, these sorts of um, school gardens and things like that and engaging kids with food from a young age. And, and it's really important and, yeah, mm. it's 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 great to see people like Aaron doing what he's doing at a mm. place like Warrawong High School. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I went to a private school in Canberra and we didn't have a garden mm. and we didn't learn anything about food. Yeah, you know. And there was people that, you know, even though even though they were affluent people, like they still went through school thinking that burgers were, you know, a staple. Yep. So and not knowing yeah. how to cook or grow anything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is it is pretty interesting in this area particularly too <clears throat> because it's a it's a migrant area yep. like there's a I mean now we obviously have the the Burmese and the West Africans and the Syrians coming but 20-30 years ago that was the Macedonians mm. and the Portuguese and the Maltese and the Italians um, who have really strong food cultures mm. and still do particularly mm. in, in older generations so it's kind, of, it's kind of that's actually been a really funny thing here is we've got about 30 residential neighbours um who have kind of built unofficial backyards onto this site mm -hmm. because it's scrubland for ages. And a lot of them are like, even though they're getting older, a lot of them are pumping out tomatoes and chilies and, and stuff. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of good to have that sort of old um, cultural exchange yeah. around food. Yeah, that's cool. Um, we'll start wrapping it up. What... What have you got planned for the future? Like, what what sort of other other things have you got going on? We were talking about pigs for meat mm. and expanding chickens, yeah, eggs, chickens for eggs. Um, I mean, potentially chickens for meat as well, yep. depending on how that works. Um, we're actually doing a survey at the moment, trying to get an understanding of what the community wants in terms of food. Right. Uh, one of the things we're considering doing is um, adding products to our veg box. So we've always had plans in the future to add fruit trees when our, our fruit trees grow. We've got 200, mm. 200 fruit trees in yeah. the ground, but they're Saw not, a lot of them around not going to do anything for five to seven years. Yeah. Um, but so whether, you know, whether we include 
for the next few years include fruit from other local ethical producers, mm-hmm. include milk, bread, that sort of stuff right, to make okay. the product more of a package and more of a, I guess, convenient one-stop shop for people. Yep. Um, so that, that's kind of the next thing. But over the, the next few years, it's really just developing the farm so the, the whole market garden's functioning, sure. um, developing all the the animal systems. So goats is the other animals we want to get in, um, meat goats, but also just for maintaining weeds mm-hmm. um, and getting all our, all our kind of perennial systems established. So in a few years, we're, we're just harvesting yep. what, what we've been maintaining for a few years. Um, and then once this site is developed, depending on how the business is going, depending on how Green Connect's looking, um, the dream is always to expand and, and find other land to mm-hmm. do do the same or similar things, depending on what the community need is. Sure. Yeah. We've also, n- next year, we should be establishing some vocational education programs through here. Mm-hmm. So the first stop is just basic vocational pathway training for a lot of our newly arrived staff and students from Warrawong High School who kind of need that real basic training. Mm-hmm. If that's successful and works really well, we're going to be looking at doing um, certificates in permaculture and or horticulture using this farm as a as a classroom. Yeah, so that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, oh, can people volunteer? Yeah. Absolutely. How do they do that? Yeah, so they can uh, register on the Green Connect website. Just that there's a section about get involved. Yeah, there's a volunteer column. Um, generally, you know, we have a number of volunteer opportunities in the office, helping with with back end stuff, but also on the farm, helping out with some some basic day to day stuff. On sure. the we kind of have a Wednesday and a Thursday that are really people intensive. That that's when it's the best days to volunteer. Uh, we also have these seasonal community days, the mm-hmm. next of which is October 28th, where uh, anyone from the community is welcome to come down, lend a hand, have a share in our, in our massive feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just see the farm firsthand, get involved. Cool. Love it. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, anything else? Any other thoughts? Anything else you want to talk about? Um. I'll probably think of something in two hours, but yeah. not right now. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was actually, I might as well mention it. Um, you do work with restaurants as well, and a part of this book, obviously, is, is featuring some local restaurants and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Is, is that just sort of a, a relationship between you guys? They call you, they say, what have you got? Or do they have like a, do you have sort of like ordering systems within place with them? With them? Uh, we, we've now? had... We've we've got ordering systems in yeah, place, okay. yeah. So so at the moment we're working with the Novotel, yep. Um, Red Kitchen down in Port Kembla, Wentworth Street, and Balinese Spice Magic yep. on Kira Street. Uh, and so it kind of chops and changes. Sometimes we'll have, depending on what their menus are, sometimes we'll be pumping out, you know, twelve kilos of, of salad mix for a, a six month period sure. for for one one customer. Sometimes it's especially when they're in between seasons and we're in between seasons, it's it's a bit more kind of, what have you got and what can we work to our menu? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and that's I guess that's another... You probably don't see it as much, but places like Balinese Spice Magic do tell people and talk to people and their customers about the fact that their food comes from here. Yeah. Which is... is, is it's another public forum in which you know, information can spread about what you guys do. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of a good entry point into um, fair food. Yes. Yeah. I reckon hospitality. Yeah. Because people are more, people are more willing to pay and more willing to engage in a one-off kind of exchange. Mm. Uh, it's kind of like the gateway drug to veg boxes. Veg boxes. <laughs> yeah. Seems like the honor yeah. menu. Um, and you were saying as well that like you're looking into getting involved in places like the Kayama Farmers Markets a bit more mm. in the future and stuff as well. Yeah, so I mean, as as we we're going to be doubling productivity in the next three months, okay, uh, which is going to be pretty insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as I've said, we we structure it like we plant five months out. Um, we're planting for what we want in that veg box five months from now. Yeah. But we're always 
we're always going to miss sales targets, overproducing some things. We always have a 20% overproduction anyway. Right. You know, some seasons will be particularly abundant. It's impossible to predict how many kilos of tomatoes you're going to get off a particular crop. So we're always going to have surpluses. Um, And so we will be doing Kiama farmers markets from this this September or October, I hope. Nice. Yeah, as, as a way of of selling excess produce, but also we're hoping to establish a pickup point for our veg box system down there. Yeah, nice. Cool. Well, I think in general, like, especially down in Kiama, there's a really good local food community and a good, yeah. and a good sort of patronage as well of people that are very interested in it. So, mm. yeah, there's lots of opportunities. Cool. Yeah, yeah I'm keen to get, get down there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we're going to leave it there. Cool. Yeah. Fantastic. That's it. Thanks for talking to me. No worries. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my chat with Cal Champagne from Green Connect Farm in Warrawong. Had a fantastic time talking to him and getting to know more about what they do. We also had a great time out on the farm, checking out all the produce and meeting some of the staff. Get out there to one of their community days. It's really worth a look. If you want to find out more about what Green Connect does, you can check out their website. It's green-connect.com.au. You can go there. You can sign up for a veg box. You can find out more about what they're up to. So check it out and support Green Connect. It's a fantastic organization. If you want to find out more about us, our website is quicksandfood.com or you can find us at Quicksand Food on social media. Please support the Illawarra Cookbook. It's local, it's independent, and it shines a spotlight on all the best hospitality and producers across the Illawarra. Please get out and support it at all your local retailers or at our website. Thank you for joining me for another Quicksand Food podcast, and I will catch you again with the next episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.